0: Welcome to the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. So the survey question today at Smirkanish.com asks, the U.S. is heading into the greatest political and constitutional crisis since the Civil War. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? And I've shared with you earlier in the course of the program, some of the excerpts from Robert Kagan's essay at the Washington Post, which for several days has been the most read, under the headline, Our Constitutional Crisis is Already Here. He is not the only one thinking in these terms. Listen to this line. The proliferation of those allegations of voter fraud, meaning in California, before the election, including ungrounded claims from former President Donald Trump that the contest was rigged, points toward an ominous future in which more GOP candidates challenge the results of any election that they do not win. That's not from the Kagan piece. That's from Ron Brownstein, writing recently in The Atlantic under the headline, The California Recalls Warning for Democracy. This is Ron. He is also the author most recently of Rock Me on the Water, that sensational book that I interviewed him about when it first came out. Ron, mm. thanks so much for being here.
1: Hey, good morning, Michael. Welcome to welcome to LA.
0: Yeah, thank you, sir. Love being here. I haven't been here yeah. since the uh, the pandemic, so it's 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 great to be back in town because, like you, I love this area. I really do. You've you've gone so far as to write yeah. a whole book uh, of a love letter to Los yeah. Angeles, and I love that book. Yeah, thank you, thank you.
1: Uh, and I'm also glad that you were highlighting the Kagan. Uh, essay, which which really is indispensable, uh, you know, uh, particularly given the source. Right. I mean, we're talking about uh, not someone who comes out of the American prospect or the nation. We're talking about uh, one of the leading uh, neocon foreign policy thinkers of the last you know, 25 years uh, who very clearly pulling all the threads together, I think, correctly, Uh, to underscore the magnitude of the of the challenge that is heading toward us and also the the so far inability of most institutions to grapple with the magnitude of that challenge.
0: Well, and you were saying much the same, right? I mean, this is this is the path that you were on coming out of the, the recent California recall. You were seeing the big picture signs that he then drew together.
1: Yeah. No, look, I I think I have. uh, And and even before the California recall, I mean, essentially what we have is uh, the dominant faction in the Republican Party uh, is now a fundamentally anti small d Democratic movement led by Donald Trump. Uh, That doesn't mean that every Republican uh, has turned away from the principles of democracy and our constitutional order. Uh, but the number of Republicans who are willing to publicly stand up against this dominant faction, as we know, is vanishingly small. And what we see uh, is both in argument and in practice, uh, the the Trump forces uh, laying the groundwork uh, to uh, both suppress the vote and subvert the result, the counting, if necessary, in 2024 and, and possibly even – 2022, Uh, you know, you see this in multiple on multiple fronts from the the passage of uh, these laws in red state after state, making it more difficult to vote uh, measures, uh, increasing political control over the counting of votes. The slow motion crisis that's underway in Georgia, where a Republican state legislature is in the process of moving to take over the administration of the election in Fulton County, the largest county in the state. Uh, the the uh, the running you know, the, the, the proliferation of candidacies uh, by uh, uh, kind of 2020 conspiracy theorists for secretary of state and other positions um, in all the, the blocking by Senate Republicans of any effort to set a national floor of voting rights or protection for election workers. I mean, just from every front. You can see, as, as Rick Hassan, the, the election you know, uh, law expert at the University of California Irvine you know, said the other day, I mean, 2020 increasingly looks like just the rehearsal for what may be coming in 2024. And so few institutions, whether it's the media, uh, whether it's the business uh, lobbies, uh, whether it's uh, uh, even in some degree the White House uh, is, is, is kind of speaking as, with as much clarity as Kagan did. Uh, In that piece about what what we are headed for, um, because, uh, you know, um, we don't really have a language in American politics for the idea that one of our two major political parties is now dominated by a faction that is not in the Western small b democratic tradition, I don't believe.
0: Ron. What could change things? You noted in The Atlantic that Gavin Newsom's victory came on the same day that Senate Democrats introduced what might be their last chance to counter the laws proliferating in Republican-controlled states, making it more difficult to vote and increasing partisan influence over the counting of ballots. Do you see any prospect of, of some type of federal reform passing with divided control of the Senate and, and Democrats having a very slim margin in the House?
1: Well, look. That is, I you know, we're obviously focused on the reconciliation bill and the you know Biden uh, agenda, economic agenda. But I think what you just asked is the biggest question looming in this congressional session. Um, uh, Democrats have now, I think, reached agreement among themselves. I mean, to a you know they, surprisingly smoothly after Joe Manchin. Uh, would not support the original, more expansive bill that passed the House that that others had had, had criticized as too sweeping. I think you were were among those. They've negotiated now a kind of scaled-down, focused legislation that would create, for the first time, a nationwide floor of voting rights, would undo many of the uh, measures that, have, that the red states are pursuing to make it tougher to vote uh, and would also establish more protections over the counting and more protections for election workers. Every Democrat in the Senate uh, is now expected to support that. Uh, certainly every Democrat in the House would support that. Um, Joe Manchin theoretically is looking for 10 Republicans uh, who would vote for it to overcome a filibuster. Uh, he is unlikely to find even one. I mean, unlikely to be any Republican willing to do that. And that's when the choice will come to a head, uh, whether or, or not uh, they are willing to create any kind of exception of the filibuster to pass a federal floor of voting rights and protections uh, for the counting of the of the election. I would point out, as, a, as I've written before, uh, you know, that in effect, the standard that Manchin and Cinema have said on this, that they that the Senate should only act if Republicans agree, uh, you know, in effect, means that they are giving Senate Republicans a veto over whether the federal government responds to what the Republicans are doing in the states. And that's exactly the opposite of what the Abraham Lincoln era Republican Party did uh, in the years after the Civil War, when when the remaining Democrats in the Congress were allies of the former Confederates who were doing everything they could to prevent uh, the freed slaves from exercising civil rights and voting rights. And if you look at all of the major uh, post-Civil War civil rights legislation, including the 14th and 15th Amendments, they passed on a party-line basis without support from a single Democrat uh, in, who, who, who was in the Congress at that point. And Republicans realized that this was important enough that they had to do it on their own if necessary. And that they, you know, they passed the test, I think, of history. And ultimately, of course, they, they kind of lost the nerve for the project in the, in the 1870s and beyond uh, and allowed uh, the, the, the imposition of segregation and the rolling back of voting rights. But in that initial 15 years or so after the Civil War, they stood alone uh, to defend uh, the, you know, the rights of all Americans at that point to, to vote. And I think that is the, the task that history is, you know, is, is presenting to, to Manchin and cinema. It, it would be extraordinary if, the, you know, this is the one lever that Democrats have. Pretty clear this Supreme Court is not going to take a stand to defend voting rights against what the states are doing. They don't have the votes in the red states to stop this, as Texas showed, despite the extraordinary air, uh, efforts. The one lever they have is they can pass federal legislation. And the idea that Manchin and cinema would say we should only do that, if Republicans agree, it would just be extraordinary by historical standards.
0: What What's the good news? You're, you're, you're bumming me out between yeah. what Kagan wrote and what you're telling me. And in your piece, by the way, you said all year, civil rights and election reform advocates have complained that both the White House and Senate Democrats have appeared insufficiently alarmed or engaged as a procession of red states have imposed new restrictions on voting. So if if there's not going to be the federal reform, and I, I get this question all the time, big picture, what can be done about what I'm discussing with Ron Brownstein?
1: I, I think, as I said, the one lever is federal action, uh, uh, the federal legislation. You know, the, the, the Biden administration kind of started off with this posture, uh, I think first uh, detailed, first signaled in a story that I wrote in May, where they were basically saying these laws We can organize around them. Just tell us what the law, tell us what the rules are, and we will win anyway. And of course, that infuriated civil rights groups who basically said, look, you know, don't ask black voters to stand in line for 10 hours to overcome your refusal to stand up to two senators in your own party to try to get a, a fair set of rules in place. And I would say that the level of anxiety among Democrats. Michael, if you're asking me, I'm, I'm going to go in the opposite direction, could get significantly higher after the 2022 election because if Republicans win the governorship in either of Michigan, Pennsylvania, or Wisconsin, they will pass, they, the Republican-controlled legislatures there, and now that Republican governor will pass laws similar to what Texas, Georgia, Iowa, Montana, and other red states have done, Arizona. And suddenly at that point, you are looking at enough states to uh, uh, tilt the battle for 270, uh, imposing these kinds of restrictions. So, uh, you know, this is not, I, I think that the part that uh, people have to understand is that this is not just about who controls Texas or who controls Georgia or who controls Arizona. These Republican legislatures are not changing the laws solely. To make sure they can keep winning the governorship, they are trying to tilt the balance of national power uh, and make it very difficult for Democrats to uh, control the Senate, the House, uh, or the presidency, even if they have support from a majority of the country. And as you know, they've won the popular vote in seven out of eight elections, which no party has ever done uh, in American in American history. So this is a moment of of kind of genuine. Um, uh, crisis, I think, as uh, I, I'm with Robert Kagan, you know, that w- when he suggests that um, we, are, we are moving into an era that we just don't have, we're not used to having this conversation. We're used to this right. kind of two-party competition, uh, you know, back and forth, tax rates go up, tax rates go down, regulation goes up, regulation goes down. But the idea that one side, or at least the dominant faction of one side, is now willing to subvert the basic rules of the competition is just not something that anybody that very many in our society have shown themselves willing to grapple with. And I think it is the fundamental reality we're facing. Uh, the, the Trump movement is an anti democratic movement, small b. He has made that as clear as he can. Um, and, you know, the question is, what is how, how much defense is there? How much will is there? To defend our basic democratic principles.
0: Ron, I've been struggling for the last two hours to articulate what you just laid out because that's how I was feeling after reading your work in The Atlantic and then the Kagan piece. And then for me, the trifecta was that I I finished Peril. So that I was in a position to do an interview with Robert Costa. And and what blew me away reading Peril is I I understood what happened that we saw on television on January 6th. I didn't understand what they were doing behind closed doors relative to the John Eastman memo, the two page document, the pressure that was placed on Pence. And then like 400 pages into the book. You have McLaughlin, the pollster, sitting down with Trump last June and saying, my God, look at your numbers. You're doing better than Reagan was. And don't worry, there will be buyer's remorse about Biden. And look where Biden's numbers are right now. I mean, what I'm trying to say is that from what you just described about the tinkering with the rules of the system and now what's happened with this difficult summer for Joe Biden, the moon and the stars are arguably lining up for Donald Trump.
1: Uh, Yes. I mean, we are early. Look, uh, presidents uh, have tough first years uh, pretty often and often come back to win. Uh, uh, You know, uh, Clinton, Obama, even W. Bush before 9-11 was down to 50 percent approval on the last Gallup poll directly before the attack. So I think it's a little premature. But yes, I think, you know, the broader point is right. Uh, You know, the the, uh, uh, this is a closely divided country. And if the – you know, roughly a quarter to a third of the Republican Party, the Republican voters, are uneasy with everything that Trump represents, everything that happened on January 6th, uh, all the ways in which he seems to be a a threat to democracy. But if those voters are willing to kind of swallow their anxieties and doubts and vote for him anyway – because he's the alternative to Democrats doing things they don't like, you know, like expensive uh, reconciliation bills and new taxes and so forth. Yes. Then he has a chance of, uh, of being president again. I mean, I, I think a lot, a lot depends on what happens with that kind of the what pro-democracy faction in the Republican Party uh, that is in, in, in all of these polls, just, just uneasy with, with everything that has happened, uh, you know, uh, terrified by January 6th, uh, believe that Trump has culpability there. But in the end, they might be willing to vote for him, despite all of those doubts. And that, yeah, Ross, you know, that Ross, in a situation Ross where
0: are Ross in the, in the Times, essentially said in the piece that he authored, people are focused on whether Donald Trump is going to steal the next election. Don't put it past his ability to actually win the next election. You get the final word. And by the way, thank you, Ron. That was just so well said. Final thought from you.
1: Look, you brought up Ross. Much of the conservative commentariat and Republican infrastructure is doing their best to normalize Trump and what's happening. They are basically saying Trump isn't as big a threat to American democracy as it seems as a way of justifying the silence of Republican leaders and the Republican interest groups over these plainly anti-democratic maneuvers. Ultimately, one party alone cannot preserve the pillars of American democracy. Uh, This is not going to work unless the Republicans who believe in the basic principles of our system are willing to stand up and call out an attempt to subvert them. And so far, You know, apart from Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, we just simply have not seen that. And if we don't, uh, I think the road ahead only gets rockier, more turbulent, even more violent. Uh, And so this is really a crossroads moment for the party, but even more for the country.
0: Amen. I said at the outset of my program today, I'm worrying about things that in 30 years of paying close attention, I've never had to worry about previously. Ron Brownstein, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
1: Same here. I, I, I exactly agree with what you just said. Uh, yes, great okay. to be with you, Michael, as always, and thanks, thanks much for having me.
0: Okay, that's Ron Brownstein. Don't forget his book, Rock Me on the Water. It is sensational. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish
1: live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app.
0: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.